Good evening, everyone. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Leonard. I'm one of the elders here, and it's pleased to meet you. It's, uh, I'm looking forward to tonight. So just quickly to say, uh, for the next couple of weeks, we as elders have been speaking, we've been praying together, and I've been just considering what God wants to say to us in the next season. And I really actually felt that God wanted to speak to us about a few things out of the book of Acts. And for those of you who know, the book of Acts only has 28 chapters, but I want us to, to launch into a bit of a series. We don't really do series as often, but take a few weeks to speak about specifically the book of Acts and some of the things that happened in the book of Acts, and how we can see those things replicated in our day and age. So, um, for oh, it's a different one than the previous one. Are we changing them? What happened? <laughs> Yes, that's, that's neat. Eh? I've got different, different ones. I didn't design it. Someone else, Brigitte, made options, so it seems like we've got a few of them. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so within the book of Acts, uh, we, we read the story of the early church, and, you know, I, uh, for the longest time, when I was at Bible school, they taught us that when you look at the, uh, of the, book, at the book of Acts, it's the story of the birth of the early church. It's really a phenomenal book. If you haven't read it or you haven't read it in a while, I want to encourage you, go to the book of Acts and Afrikaans Handelinge, start reading it, go into it. It's an amazing book, amazing book. It's, it's this beautiful story of how after Jesus' death and resurrection, the church gets born and it changes into Christianity that we know today. It really is a beautiful picture. And uh, when I was at Bible school, they taught us that when you look at the book of Acts, you look at it descriptively and not prescriptively meaning it describes what happened in the early church, but it doesn't prescribe what we need to do today. And I believed that for a long time. And then the more I thought about it, I thought, you know what, that's actually not completely true. I think the book of Acts is both descriptive and prescriptive for us, meaning it describes one of the most beautiful events that ever took place on the earth after Jesus' death and resurrection, the birth of Christianity, the birth of the church, but it also prescribes how we should do church today. It gives us a picture of what church should look like today and how we should live our lives today. And so what I'd love is to look at the book of Acts, look at the things that they saw, because I'd love to see those things in our day and age. I'd love to see what happened in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago happening in Stellenbosch in 2022. Doesn't it sound amazing that we don't only have to read the Bible, we can see the Bible in action today? It's not just a book of philosophy. It's not just a book of information. It's a book of real life events of a real God that's still active and living today. And so the book of Acts should not stop at chapter 28. We should be chapter 29. See what I just did there? Huh? You got it. We should be chapter 29. We should be the continuation of that. And you know, I'm reading a book on church history. And uh, it's really so interesting because we see this birth of a beautiful church in, in the book of Acts. And so quickly the church goes astray, it goes skew. And many of us have had to do with the ugly underbelly, the ugly side of church. We've seen the, the nasty side of church. And unfortunately, that's there. Churches aren't perfect. This is not a perfect church. And if you think you find the perfect church, don't, don't join it because you're going to mess it up because you're not perfect. But perfect churches don't exist. But what we do is we aim for what we see in the book of Acts. We say we're not perfect, but we don't want to build good organizations. We don't want to build a system. We don't want to build a business. That's not what we're building. We're building what we see in the book of Acts. That's the church Jesus desires. 
That's the beautiful, healthy church that we want to see today. And if we don't see it in the book of Acts, if we don't see it in the Bible, we shouldn't be doing it today. We should totally, continually be reforming church to say, what do we see here? And living it out. So that's Acts 29. That's the idea with this series. So a couple of things that we're going to speak about the next couple of weeks. I might not be the only one preaching, um, but... What I'd like to do is take a few key things that I think these people believed and saw and look at them, look at a few scriptures and say, can we try and see the things that they see, saw? Because there's this quote that says, if we want to see the things that they saw, we need to do the things that they do. In order to do the things that they did, we need to believe what they believed. That's Will Murray. Well, he probably got it somewhere else. I can steal it from him. It's fine. (laughs) But we need to see a couple of things. So I wanted tonight we're going to speak about the fact that the book of Acts, the early church, they were a devoted people. We'll speak about that and what, what that actually means. We're going to speak about the fact that they were obedient people. Listen, when God spoke, those people listened. They didn't argue, they did. And they turned the world upside down because of their obedience. They were a supernatural people. Yo, God moved. If you read the book of Acts, God moved. There were miracles There were demons being chased out. There were people being healed. There were salvations. There was baptisms. It's a supernatural book. It's not a history book. It's a supernatural book. And I said, probably a month or two ago, we had deliverance taking place in in the service. Someone was delivered from demons. And I'm like, we need more of that type of stuff. Because that's the stuff that we see in the book of Acts. They were supernatural people, and we need to change ourselves to see. So that's what we want to see. They were robust people. Listen, they were killed and slaughtered for their faith, but still they stood. And now not enough people like our Instagram posts and we sit and cry in a corner. (laughs) We need to learn to be a robust people, and they were missional people. Their lives were not about themselves. Their lives were about the kingdom of God and reaching other people. We want to be those people that we see in the book of Acts. We want to continue living it. Okay, let's pray. Yeah, God, thank you for... For this book, Lord, thank you for the book of Acts, and God, thank you for this church, Daily's PM, that's sitting in front of me now, and that was at the 4 p.m. service as well, and God, we really want to pray that that you would help, and over time, that you would change us into a church that reflects what we see in the New Testament. God, we don't want to build on clever systems or on business ideas at work. We want to build on your ways of doing things, your blueprint, and I pray that through the next couple of weeks that you would impart Lessons to us, Lord, things that we see in the Bible that we can live those things out in our day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this week, while I was preparing, I stumbled upon this famous speech that many of you would have heard of. It's uh, Martin Luther King Jr., and he had this famous speech called, I have a... Yes, no, some of you, are you too young? I'm not sure. The, the speech's name is I Have a Dream. Who has, who has heard of the I Have a Dream speech? Okay, I have a dream. And I listened to the speech, and it's quite inspiring. This guy stands up, and he basically, he, he, he was, uh, anyway, was a, a freedom fighter, and basically anti-apartheid fighter in America, and he was a Christian. He was a pastor also, and he stood up, and for years, he fought for the dream that he had for America. It was a united people was the dream that he had in his heart, where black and white would, could come together, where they could actually see some of the things that we see now. That was his dream. And he stood up and he had this speech that inspired not only thousands of people, but over the years, 
It inspired millions of people as he stood up and said, this is the dream that I have for my country. People latched onto it. People followed it. And as I was listening to the speech and feeling like, oh, this guy had passion. He saw something. He lived something. I thought, you know what? But in the same way that he had a dream and he pulled people into that dream, let's say that as the elders of Josh Chain, we actually also have a dream. We have a dream for the church. And what I did is as I sat, I, I wrote down a couple of the dreams that I have for the church. And I want to share them with you because I have a dream, just like Martin Luther King Jr. That's so long to say. <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream, and, and I want to say that we and I have a dream too. I just want to read you some of my dreams that I have for the church. I have a dream of a church where every single person is involved and not just attending. Every single person. I honestly have a dream of a people coming together excited to worship God every single week and where they worship Him exuberantly. Come on, you don't have that dream, it seems. <laughs> have that dream with me. I have a dream of people willing to lay down everything for the sake of God and His kingdom. No matter what you ask them to sacrifice, they see God and they say, I'll sacrifice it for God. That's the dream. I have a dream of people getting saved and baptized regularly and living unashamedly for God. People who say, like, I'm, I'm laying everything down. I'm giving everything up, and I'm going to follow Jesus. Getting saved. I'm getting baptized. I'm going to live unashamedly. I'll speak about Him. I have that dream. I have a dream of in Stellenbosch and in the country and in the world that there would be holy gossip about the things that God is doing in this church. People would have holy gossip and say, man, those people are weird. I want to hear that. Those people are weird. Have you seen that cult? I want to hear about the cult. That's when you know you're hitting it right. When people start calling you a cult, you're probably doing something right. <laughs> I have a dream of people being set free from the bondage of this world that the devil has placed on them and living in true freedom. Really have a dream of people coming into church and being set free in ways that they never thought was possible. Becoming totally different people as Jesus encounters them. Not as they fall into a good system, but as they encounter the living God. I have a dream of people living in true community with one another beyond a Sunday and a Wednesday. Really knowing each other, loving each other, speaking into each other's lives, caring for one another. You know, I regularly joke and say good Christians go to church on a Sunday. Very good Christians go to church on a Wednesday. But actually, that's not the truth. We should go beyond that and be Christians who live together beyond a Sunday and a Wednesday. That's the dream. I have a dream of people discipling one another and caring for one another deeply. Like showing a genuine concern for one another. Not just saying, hey brother, hey sister, you in my community, you in my church, hey, how are you doing? Deeply caring for one another. And I have a dream of people coming, uh, caring for one, for one another and looking after those who are needy. That there would be no needy people as we are willing to give up what we have for our brothers and sisters alongside us. That's the dream. That's the dream. That's honestly, I just sat and I'm like, okay, God, what, what do I dream for this church? If I could see Staly's PM in the way that I think you want to see it, what is my dream? And you know what? It doesn't have so much to do with numbers. It has to do with a healthy, vibrant church. I think I said it last week. We don't, we're not building this church for numbers. 
And I'm not saying numbers are unimportant. You'll see in the Bible, as there's healthy church, it grows and it expands. Healthy things do grow. But that's not the primary thought. The primary thought is not only of width, but it's of depth. It's of a people that are totally devoted to God, that love God, that are not pew warmers. I don't want this. Honestly, we don't want this to be a church for pew warmers. Yeah, I've, you know, we've had Sundays that I've said to the people, if you're here to warm a pew and you're not willing to jump in fully, I don't think you should come. I can give you a list of other churches who would be lo- love to have you. <laughs> They'd love to have you. And that sounds offensive. And, and I mean, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm, try- I'm trying to say, if you're in this church, the one thing that I want to say that we, I'm hoping that as elders, as leaders, we're going to push you towards is we're going to try and push you deeper. Like you coming on a Sunday is not enough. That's, that's not what Jesus died for. Jesus didn't die to say, oh, if I can only get him to church on a Sunday. Oh, and if I can only get the elect to go to a community on a Wednesday. Like that's not what Jesus died for. Jesus died for you to live in freedom. Jesus died for you to love him passionately. Jesus died so that you would lay down everything for him. That's why Jesus died for you. And the church that we want to see is full of people who see that and grab hold of it and live fully for God. I'm not, I won't be happy with a church of, listen, you can have a church of two, three, four, five thousand people, but on that day when that church stands before Jesus and it gets tested by fire, it could be smaller than a church of 50 people. If it really gets tested by fire and Jesus tests the quality of that work and he asks, who here really loves me and really lays down their lives for me? Does that challenge you a little bit? It's not about the size. It's about how those people live and how they love and how they give themselves. That's the dream. And I want to ask you, if you had to go and you had to write down your dream for the church of Jesus, how much of your dream would align with what God's dream is for the church. If you had to go sit down and, and write on your ideal church, oh, the worship must be nice. It must be giving me good goosebumps. <laughs> is, that your, is that your ideal church? Sermons must be so cool. I want to be able to take notes. It must be intellectually stimulating. Like, is that your ideal dream for a church? The building must be beautiful. It must be nice coffee. We're sucking on the coffee front, actually. We don't have cappuccinos, so... It's a, it's, a, it's a wonder that we're still growing. I don't know how that's happening. Like, what is your dream for the ideal church? If you had to honestly say, if you look at a church, I felt such a conviction tonight as I was worshiping that I know in Stellenbosch there's this culture of church hopping. And I think it's people, I know some of you, it's not to put shame on you, but I think some people are sort of hopping and you're trying to find the ideal church. And I want to say, no, 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 you're missing it. You're missing it. I get that you're off for a while, but then you need to stop hopping. Your legs are going to grow tired. Stop hopping and just stand still. Find a place where you can settle in its, and, and, and rework your list a little bit. So I think some people are not finding a church because their list is incorrect. It's not God's list. If you had to write down your list, how much of it aligns with God's list for church? So what is God's church for, list for church? We actually have a bit of a snapshot of a healthy church. And if, if I could urge you to make a list of the church that you want, I would say it needs to be like the church in the book of Acts. And are we there? No, we're not there. Are we trying? Flip, we're trying hard. <laughs> we're trying hard to get there. 
We're really trying hard, and it's difficult, and we might lose people along the way because in this day and age, discipleship looks like control. And some people feel controlled where all you're doing is you're trying to disciple. Some people feel like, well, you're pushing me too much. I'm like, no, 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 I'm just trying to get you where Jesus wants you. That's all we're trying to do. Anyway, rewrite your list into the book of Acts and what we see there. I'm going to read you a snapshot of the healthy early church. If you've been in Josh Chain longer than two weeks, you would have heard this scripture. Acts 2, 42 to 47. You should be able to say it by heart by now. This is, this is a snapshot of, of a healthy church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Maybe just pause here. If there was a 412 conference, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They would have gone. They would have made a plan because that's being devoted to the apostles' teaching. It's also being devoted to the Bible. These were people that would have gotten into the Bible. They were devoted to fellowship, meaning they love being with one another. They didn't go on a Sunday and then, well, that Wednesdays wasn't a thing, and then maybe go once in the week. No, they lived together. They were devoted to being together. That thing that we say, what's in my fridge is yours and what's in your fridge is mine. So Josh Jen saying, that's what true fellowship means. It means like we come together. Really, we come together. <clears throat> to the breaking of bread and the prayers, they prayed together. They had communion together. Remember Jesus together. That's who they were. And all came upon every soul, meaning there was not some people sitting there yawning and thinking, oh, I have to go to church, it's the right thing. No, they were in awe. They were in awe. There was, it was a people coming together in awe of their God. Every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. There was miracles happening around them. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, meaning what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. Really, if you need something, I'll help you. I want to come alongside you. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the, the proceeds to all. There's a little bit of context to this, which I won't explain now, but they all moved away from their hometowns and they were like stuck in this town. So they had to sell what they had to get each other to be able to live because many of them gave up businesses, they gave up homes, and so they needed to do this and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, not Sundays and Wednesdays, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they came together in their homes as well. It wasn't only in a church building, but they were getting together in their homes, eating together, breaking bread. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. That's like that holy gossip. There's like a, a, amongst the people, there's a reputation amongst the of the people of God. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So growth is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Those who are being saved. And actually, this means they had at least seven people a week getting saved if it was day by day. I mean, that's a good vision to have, eh? One person being saved every day? Yes, that would be amazing. We're not there. Some weeks we get there. Like some weeks on a Sunday, we see a couple of people getting saved, which is a big miracle. But that's the early church. That is the picture that we should strive for. That is when you look at a church, you like, this is what I want. And if I see the leaders wanting this, I can jump on board with them. And I can give myself to seeing that God has a dream. That's his dream. 
The elders have a dream. That's our dream alongside with God. Do you have a dream? Do you have a dream to be like that? Now, how do we actually get there? Because some of those things feel nigh impossible. It feels like, how the heck do I do that? For me, sometimes it's difficult to give up the things that I have. This week, my, uh, they broke into my car and they stole my cell phone, my very nice freedom of movement bag, which I'm quite bummed at. I was, it was like one of my prized possessions, my precious, <laughs> and I loved it. <laughs> and they stole that. It's, they stole my, um, my, my license. Um, eh? No, I found my watch. Here it is. I found it. <laughs> they didn't steal my watch. Anyway, some clothes. They stole a bunch of my things. And it sucks. It, it, it makes you realize. In that moment, I knew I can't be upset because it's worldly things. But something is it like, I don't like giving my things up. Anyone else honest enough to say they like me? Okay, so <laughs> four honest people. <laughs> they like me. Yeah, not, they are like me. Not, <laughs> not they like me. Thank you for liking me. <laughs> Thanks for liking me. <laughs> but honestly, it's, it's not nice. Some of these things feel almost impossible. Being with people all the time, the introverts in here are like, oh, but I need my alone time. And I'm like, yeah, but that's the vision of the Bible, actually, whether your personality agrees with it or not, to live with people. That's the vision of the Bible. So how do we actually get there? I want to say, I think there's a key in the Scripture for us that we mustn't miss. If you can jump to the very first verse, it gives us the answer. It says, and they devoted themselves. The answer is devotion. It's devotion. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves to selling their possessions. They devoted themselves to evangelism and salvation. They devoted themselves to these things. There was a devotion in them. Now, devotion is actually the, the easiest way for me to understand it. I went to look up what it exactly means and where it comes from. Um, the Latin means to, to um, oh, now I forgot actually. I didn't write it on my notes. It's like to, anyway, the Leonard. I can't remember the Latin, so I'll give you the Leonard. It's like a dog grabbing onto something. Okay. It's like a dog grabbing. If you devoted, that's what you want, and that's what you give yourself towards. And you're not going to let go unless you get that thing. That's devotion. I'll give you a story out of my own life of what devotion is. My wife is not here. She was at the first service. We've got two lovely little girls, Lenka and Clara. They're one year old. They started walking. It's quite cute. Um, yeah, they're walking. It's great. It's amazing. And they, they anyway, they're cute. But... Um, <laughs> When I started pursuing my wife, um, I did a bunch of things to, to be able to, to get to her, right? And I sacrificed a lot, actually. I sacrificed primarily money because she lived in Swellendam and I couldn't afford driving there all the time. And when I got there, I didn't want her to know that I was poor. So I would pay for our pizza and then for two, three days afterwards, I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't have money. So I would take whatever's left in the cupboard. We used to, this is what we used to eat, or I used to eat. I would take white bread, butter, and two-minute noodles on the bread. And I would eat that because I wouldn't have money. <laughs> and I wouldn't drive around a lot because I'm like, I need to save money because I want this woman. <laughs> and Carla kept telling me, she said, 
Leonard, I just want you to understand I'm interested in friendship. So she kept putting me in the friend zone for six months. And I would drive through to Swellendam and try my luck, and she would bat me, or she would be like, you know how girls are, they don't fully bat you, they keep you here, tight leash. <laughs> tight leash, it's like, it's, I'm, I'm not saying yes, but I'm not totally saying no, it's like something in between. So I was in limbo for six months. But I kept on going for it. Why did I go for it? Because I was devoted. I was devoted. I like, I'm that, I want that thing right there. <laughs> That I'm not what I'm not calling her a thing. I'm like anyway. <laughs> don't tell her I called her a thing. <laughs> I want this girl. I'm devoted. Now, if if I were to give you lessons to be able to get a girl, now firstly I want to say don't all do what I did, guys. If a girl says no, sometimes she really means it. Okay, <laughs> Carla didn't mean it. I could pick it up. She she, she didn't really mean it. <laughs> But some girls really mean it. Just stop it. Leave them alone. Stop it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but the reason I got her was not because of the two-minute noodles on bread. It was because of the devotion. So if I'm going to tell you to get a girl, you must have two-minute noodles on bread. That's not the point. That's not going to work for you. It's devotion that got me there. So in the same way, when we look at the story the, 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 the fruit of devotion is all of these things that we see. They were willing to sacrifice, but why were they willing to sacrifice? Because of devotion. They were devoted to seeing more of God. They were devoted to growing, to giving their lives to God. They were devoted. They clung unto God for dear, for dear sake, for life's sake. Said, I want more of God. They were devoted. And because of that, there was fruit to it. Because of that, they were willing to do all these other things. So I want to say, if we want to see these things, if we want to see a church where these things play out, where we see people living the type of lives that we see in the book of Acts, especially in this early church, if we want to see those things, we need to see a people who are devoted, who cling on to God and say, God, I want you. I want you. I'll give up everything if I can just have you. That's also difficult. You know why it's actually difficult? It's because devotion sometimes is something that we, that we lose because we are devoted to other things more than we are to God. The devil is clever. The devil is probably in your life. He's not going to try and get you to hate God. He's, that's not the strategy of the devil. He, he doesn't do that. He doesn't come with red, red suits on and a tail and one of those pointy arrow thingies. He doesn't do that. He comes as an angel of light. He masquerades as an angel of light. He's going to come like good. And so if the devil wants to get you, he's not going to come and try and get you to hate God, mostly, most probably. What he's going to do is going to try to get you to be devoted to something else more than you are to God. He's going to try and give you another devotion. I remember um, just... To, to understand this, I remember at, at some stage, I was like obsessed with rock climbing, like obsessed. I loved it. I was probably um, 21, 22, and I would, I would like every moment that I get, I would climb. Every other moment I would get, I would watch climbing videos. I was just, I was obsessed, specifically with bouldering, and I lived in Wellington, and Paul was the closest place to go and climb. 
I was obsessed to such an extent that it would be raining outside, but there was a route called Evergreen that I, I will never forget. And I wanted to finish that route, and I couldn't finish it. I, I worked on that route for months. It was a bouldering route, and you sort of sit, you put your mattress down there. I would take my mattress that I slept on at night, because I didn't have a bouldering mattress. I was too poor. I would carry the thing on my back up the mountain, park as close as I could. Sometimes I would walk up the mountain in the rain, because it was an overhanging route, and I know it would be semi-dry. I would walk up in the rain on my own. You're sitting on Pearl Rock Mountain on your own, like there's no one. I would sit there and climb that route until my hands start bleeding. And then I would go down. Okay, cool, give up. Next time, my hands are bleeding. I can't, I can't climb anymore. I was obsessed. And, you know, the obsession didn't just go away. The only reason I started stop climbing was because I found a girlfriend. <laughs> and I became more devoted to my girlfriend than I became to climbing. What is it? It's one passion replacing another. It's not a passion just disappearing. And the devil knows that. If he wants to get you to not be a devoted person, if you once had a devotion for God. Listen, I remember when I first got saved, you could ask me anything. I'd like chuck my phone. Yeah, cool, I'll chuck my phone away. I don't care. You could ask me to break up with my girlfriend. I'd be like, okay, cool, that's fine if God wants that. Because I had that real raw devotion. I, I saw God and I wanted to give everything for him. But then there are times where it's difficult. And you know why it's difficult? Because there are other devotions that have climbed the ladder and it's become more important to me than God. There are some of you, when you read this list of what the ideal church should look like, you think, oh, I don't know if I want to join that church. Why? Your devotion is lacking. Why? Because there's another devotion that's taken precedence above the devotion for God. I think for some of you, I think there's multiple things. I think for, for the young people here, I've seen so many young people lose their devotion for God because of uh, a guy or a girl. I'm telling you, you have to. You, you have to look at that thing. The devil is clever. You praying for a girl, God can give you that girl, or the devil can give you that girl. Don't assume it's God because she said yes. You're not that bad. <laughs> Don't assume it's God just because she said yes. God can open doors. Guess what? The devil can open doors just as well. He can also open doors. And if he can get you to be more passionate about something else than about God, he will open that door for you. He will give you the girl. He will give you the guy. Come on, man. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to him. Make sure it's God. Because if it's God, you won't lose Jesus along the way. You won't lose him along the way. For some people, that's career. Career takes precedent above God. And it starts so innocently. Oh, I just want to work hard. And if I work hard, I can get a promotion. I can have a better life for my family. And before you know it, you're spending all your time there and you've forgotten about church people and you've forgotten about God and you're waking up earlier and you're tired from work so you can't spend time with God. What's happened? Another devotion has taken over your devotion for Jesus. Why are you on the earth? I'm, I'm telling you it's not to make money. I'm telling you it's not to make money. Money, is it bad? No, no, no. It's the love of money that's bad. That's the root of all evil. 
I'm telling you, that thing is going to come for some of you. It's going to try and grab your heart. You're never going to see the things in the book of Acts if you don't hold fast and say, God, I'm going to fight so that you stay my biggest devotion in life. I'm going to grab hold of it. I'm going to give myself to it, even if there are other things. Hey, when some of you have children one day, hear me now. Hear me. Suddenly they're going to have sport on a Sunday and uh, they're going to they're have practices for some things on a Wednesday and you can't go to community anymore or they're busy and you're tired and it's too difficult to take a baby out at night. So listen to me. Make a mental note now. Make a note now. The devil will try and use something good that's your child to get you away from God. He can use good things. It's a blessing from God that he perverts and twists to get you away from God. He will use anything. For some of you, it's like a hobby. You get so obsessed with mountain, like cycling, or you get so obsessed with that thing that you want to buy that you fixate on it and you forget about God. Listen, we're all normal. We all go through those seasons, but we need to learn to autocorrect. We need to learn to be those people that has like a devotion meter in our hearts. To say, is my desire still for Acts 2 to 42 to 47 or not? If my desire is not for those things, if I'm not seeing my life in those that way, if I'm not living the way that they lived, it might be that my devotion is off. It might be that I need to come back to God and repent and say, God, my studies, my work, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my spouse, my children, my hobby has taken precedence over you. God, forgive me. I'm giving myself to you. I've lost my first love. And here's the interesting thing. I didn't plan to speak about this, but in the book of Revelation, where it speaks about the first love, because that's actually what devotion is. It's your first love. It's making sure that God is your first love. You know, in the book of Revelation, there's one of the churches that Jesus speaks to. And he says to him that you have, you've forgotten, you've neglected your first love. You know what his solution is? It's really interesting. He says, repent and do the works you did at first. So let me put that in context for you. Acts 2, 42 to 47 is the way that we should live. That's fueled by devotion. That's what gets us to live in that way. Now God is saying, if you lose that devotion, if you lose your first love, the thing to do is to repent and go do those things again. Go live that way again. Sometimes that's going to be difficult, but you need to get into that place again. Some of you lose your devotion, you stop coming to church. Listen, that's where you need to start going to church. If you feel your devotion drifting, that's exactly the place you should be. It's exactly the place you should be. Repent and do the works you did at first. Are you all still awake? Okay. Okay, just as I start ending... So I want us to make sure tonight to bring our hearts before God and make sure that our devotion is right. And to actually repent if there's any other devotion that has taken precedence above God. If there's anything that we would, that we would do that. Maybe I, I don't usually do this. Are there any other examples that you guys can think of of devotions that come before, above Jesus? Anyone else who, who has something? Studies. No, that never happens, especially not in test week, eh? <laughs> never happens. <laughs> Raise leadership. Ooh, big one, eh? Big one. God, if it's you, I'll become prim. 
God, if it's you, I'll come on the haka. I'm just going to stand. If it's not you, don't let me become haka. Anyone ever prayed that prayer? I think a few of you. <laughs> Have you really heard from God? I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. God could use you there. The devil could use it there as well. Honestly, think that's a brilliant one. Anyone else? Series. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Watching series, it swallows you in, and before you know, you're like, God, I don't have time to spend time with you. Yeah, but you've watched 10 seasons of Gossip Girl, or whatever you girls watch. <laughs> but God, I don't have time. <laughs> Social media, don't you think that, eh? It's like, how does that suck us in? And we lose our devotion. But we're like, yeah, I can't lose, I, I can't go off of Facebook. How do I know when it's people's birthdays? <laughs> like, whatever, get a calendar, people. <laughs> like, like Get a calendar, write it down. It's more important than you losing your walk with God. You can get your birthdays. You can, there's a setting on Facebook that they can email you the birthdays. And you don't even have to go on Facebook. I found that out. I, I do that. Yes. Yeah. The wrong friends. That's where I find acceptance. That's why I find acceptance. I have to be with those people. I love them. I need to lead them to Jesus. <laughs> yeah, but actually, they're leading you to the world. So leave it, yeah. Family, yeah, potentially. How, how would you see that? Yeah. yeah, that's very good. If your parents, I mean, there's, there's a girl that was in this church, and um, she, she never opened up about it, but she, um, she, had, uh, she was attracted to guys and girls. She got saved in the church. She, we discipled her, we walked the road with her, and her parents are extremely liberal. So they encouraged her, like, why aren't you staying with a, a boy or a girl? Why don't you move in with someone? It's gonna, that's the only way you know. You test drive the car before you buy it. That's what her parents were encouraging her. And they go to church, but that's the discipleship, that's the influence her parents had on her. And we tried to walk with her, we spoke, we sat with the Bible, um, and eventually she just, she just left us. Your parents, I mean, if they don't believe the things that you do, hey, you moet nie so betrokke wees by kerk nie. Speak it te. It's a little bit too much. Remember to focus on your studies. Are they right? Yeah, they're right. Focus on your studies. But come on, what's, what's more important? To be honest, like I, I rather want to have a pumping relationship with God and get 5% less on my next test. Like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I'm not saying your parents are wrong. I'm just saying, hey, man, don't make, make sure that your devotion stays top priority. Hey, I'm glad I'm doing this. I should do this more. This is like good stuff. You guys should help me with my sermon preps. Okay. Hey, just let's make sure that we keep our devotion first priority. Yeah, let's end. Let's, you can stand. <laughs>